0: Hey, everyone. This is Gunnar. So last week was the Red Hat Summit. Uh, That's our annual user conference. Um, And so a whole bunch of system administrators and partners and developers got together in San Francisco and spent the whole week learning about what Red Hat's roadmap was like, talking to the engineers, talking to the product managers. Um, I was home, uh, but Dave went and he was able to interview a bunch of really interesting folks. We had Linda Wang, uh, who's from our Kernel Engineering team, uh, we've got Jan-Mark Holzer, who's easily the most interesting person at Red Hat, uh, got Nirmal Mehta from Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, anyway, really fantastic interviews. Um, so we've got about six of them coming up, and I'm going to be dumping all of them uh, over the next few days. So hope you enjoy. <laughs> So hi, everybody. Hi, Gunnar. Just wanted to let you know we got a special guest with us right now. It's uh, Linda Wang from our kernel engineering team. You want to introduce yourself, say what you do at Red Hat, Linda?
1: Um, Yeah, my name is Linda Wang. Uh, I am one of the kernel managers here at Red Hat for the RHEL kernel team. Um, I'm focusing mostly on the core kernel. Uh, My team um, basically work on the uh, memory management, as well as scheduling, and also a lot of the um, core kernel-related feature, um, such as KSAC, KDump debugging and tracing-related features. Oh, nice. So mm-hmm. if
0: people have run KDump, that's folks on your team have, have done a lot of that coding, right?
1: That's correct, yes. So they have done a lot of coding. Um, in RHEL seven time we're having to do something called, um, mostly because um, systems are getting larger and bigger bigger memories, like sometimes um, going to greater than uh, terabytes of memories. So when they do a core dump, they want to be able to compress yes. those so it's be faster, right? So, um, so we typically, you know, we actually do introduced like two new compression algorithms. You know, one is called I think LZO, the other one is called Snappy. Okay. So to help allow, you know, people uh, reduce time when they're trying to do uh, collect core dumps.
0: Yeah, and I noticed um, from one of the sessions of yours that I sat in um, that a lot of times that you don't necessarily need everything out of the kernel dump, right? And That's you correct. could you. You, we have some tools that would allow you to filter some of that out as well, right? Do right. you want to talk about that?
1: Oh, so there's a couple things uh, we can do. You can strip the, um, uh, when you do the core down to reduce the size of the uh, VM core file, you can t- you can strip the user space of um, um, some of the data sections so that you can actually reboot, redo the size of the VM core. Um, that's another way to actually compress the uh, kernel as well. Okay, yeah. cool.
0: But some of the really exciting things, um, you had a couple other sessions that you talked about this week that are really, really exciting to a lot of people. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Um, yeah, I have um, a couple of sessions. Uh, one is talking about, I mean, the big thing we talked about today and I think uh, around the summit is about the Linux container. Yes. And that is um, basically is uh, the, uh, a new way of, um, a light way of providing a virtualized environment. Yes. It all has, this, uh, uh, each container is actually inside um the operating systems and they all share the same kernel mm-hmm. but each uh, container has like basically four, diff- four different building blocks uh, one of two of them well two of them are actually exported from the kernel mm-hmm. um, basically from rel6 template we introduced something called control groups right. and that is now also one of the building class building blocks for the Linux container. Um, Second thing is the namespace, which Mm -hmm. is new. Um, That is, uh, we're going to be fully support that uh, Linux container route seven. Uh, Namespace basically provides uh, kind of like virtualized the word I don't want to use is virtualized. I want to use a different word for it. Basically, provides the um, illusion. That's what I was looking for. Basically, it provides the illusion of you are actually in inside a fully, um, a fully running bare metal system. But you actually, um, actually have different um, uh, devices and 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 namespaces to provide mm-hmm. you to give you that illusion.
0: Yeah, and one of the things so. Uh, People were joking at the the summit this week saying, uh, I guess somebody was uh, giving a tweet. Uh, I think Gunnar mentioned it to me about, um, uh, well, it was nice for uh, Red Hat to get mentioned at the Docker summit this weekend. And, And so, you know, joking that Docker got a lot of the spotlight, but Docker is a container packaging technology whereas your team is working on the the kernels uh, space technology which which is different where it's basically you're, you're using se linux and c groups and, and the namespace to basically provide this this containerized isolated environment to prevent um, uh, different groups from uh, being on the same system and seeing each other
1: Correct. Yes. Um, so yes, you, you're you're right. Um, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Linux container has like four building blocks. Mm-hmm. You know, control groups, namespace, export from the kernel. And then user space, we have SE Linux and systemd mm-hmm. that builds the overall container environment. And then Docker is something new that kind of uh, basically is a, it's a, a wrapper. Mm-hmm. And what it does is also providing uh, a way to um, uh, image format that allows you to basically uh, get some of the um, binaries into those images and you can launch this image inside the container so you can actually right. basically provide you that environment that you need and also at the same time the application you need. So that that's a, that's actually uh, pretty powerful because if you have and especially very popular for the uh, platform as a service type uh, of um, uh, infrastructure such as OpenShift mm-hmm. because it gives them the way to actually provide developers um, the application they need at, the, at any given time if they want to have an application that say um, uh, you know, a different version of Ruby on yes. um, the system. I and mean, from from the host systems, they want to have a newer version of the Ruby. You can put that into into that Docker images, and then you can basically run inside that Docker images as, as you know with a new Ruby version.
0: Yeah, and I know that um, at the government lunch today, uh, Brian Stevens gave some remarks, and he mentioned that OpenShift uh, that online has 1.5 million applications running right now in it and he said that you know if we would have done it one vm per application we would have gone broke and it wouldn't have been possible without this container technology because he was saying you know we can get a couple hundred uh, containers uh, on on a single vm
1: right Yes, Yeah. yeah. And, and OpenShift's um, team has been working really hard, um, actually working also in conjunction with the rail team, to actually try to support us you know, up to, I think they were looking at up to like 5,000 containers running on a single system. So, I mean, we're, they're, they're you know, basically their biggest customer I'm trying to push the limit for, you know. So that's actually, it's really exciting and, and, and it's actually a challenge for us, but it's actually really exciting for us as well. Yeah, yeah, that's really really Yeah,
0: Yeah. and and the other thing that's neat about that too is it. It's not you know with a lot of the container technology that is planned for RHEL seven, it's not like it's super duper brand spanking new. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We we proved it out with OpenShift online, then turned it into OpenShift Enterprise, and and we've, we've. done a lot of that in RHEL 6 but even in RHEL 7 it's, we're taking it to the next level with, with like you were saying system D and more of the namespace work that we're doing
1: right right yeah it's actually it's it's um, we also um, for RHEL 7 time, we're also trying to make sure that we um, um, basically provide stability as well as scalability in RHEL 7 with this technology I mean and we have the technology like namespace is a technology preview in RHEL 6 and we have we fully support control group in RHEL 6 but in RHEL 7 yes we take it a, f- a step further to actually Provide this uh, this particular um, technology for consumer and for product, you know, for for the product, product for the customer to um, to deploy. Yeah,
0: nice, nice. So what? But that's not all you presented on at the summit. You're, You're like presenting a lot and what else what else were you talking about
1: um, one of the things another thing we're mentioning is um, that we're working on the development team from the kernel side uh, we're working on what we call the, the dynamic kernel update yeah um, that one um, is basically providing a um, live kernel patching um, while the system's running. Yeah. And we have a lot of customers requesting us to um, basically want a faster delivery of fixes, but they don't want any downtime, so they want to minimize right. their downtime. And so therefore, we're trying to deliver patches um, and trying to build a facility and an infrastructure to actually support that kind of feature.
0: Yeah, so that's where, um, for people that aren't familiar with Linux as much, it's, you know, the kernel... It, with RPMs on a RHEL system you could pretty much update anything on the system without having to reboot with pretty much the exception of the kernel. Whereas, you know, you can install the new kernel, but for the new kernel to take effect, you need to reboot the system. And for a lot of our uh, customers that are the traditional Unix customers that like to have 5.9 uptime and all that, that was, you know, I I remember that you always have, like, the diehard AIX person that that is like, there's no way they're moving off of that because it has this particular feature. Um, This is yet another thing that we're going to see in in future releases of RHEL that will uh, have, uh, you know, make uh, the, the Linux a lot more... Attractive to those people that like to have that type of uptime.
1: Correct. Yeah, and and we're targeting for those um, those people. You're you're as well. I mean, we're targeting those people, and we're actually we know there's a need for it because you know. because even for myself, actually, one time I was actually trying, you know, when we moved cubes, right? And yeah. I was trying, to, um, was trying to reach over the phone to receiver to actually pick up the phone, try to actually dial something to get into the conference call. I was in a hurry, yeah. and I would pick up the receiver, and I realized there's no dial tone on the receiver. I'm like, what's going on? You know, it's like, yeah. this is a, this, this is 21st century. The phone should work, right? Right, right? So I look over, and it turns out we have one you know, of voice over IP phone. And on the LCD display, it says, rebooting. And I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? The next thing I know is I try to find, you know, got on the conference call, but then later on I found out that it was because they're trying to patch the system in the switchboard. And that's when I realized it down on me, like, okay, now we really do have a need for something like, you know, we just need the system to run 24 by 7 and we're going to have to patch it Like, yeah, you
0: know? so, yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that those devices are often running Linux. And yeah. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's, that need. And it's more of the, you bring up a great point, too, where it's not just um, the – the you would think the big iron systems, the AIX systems, the really big systems, the big single system image systems um, are the only addressable market for that. But you could think about things like phones or small devices or embedded devices that um, – where you want to be able to update it and, uh, you know, literally maybe mission-critical things or life-critical things where you can't afford to take an outage, but maybe on a a smaller scale of, like, embedded devices.
1: Right. And also at the same time, you know, it's also targeting, you know, basically trying to, you know, when you have a system that you really can, can 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 afford to actually shut down and reboot a system, applying patches. What we wanted to do is that you know, faster delivering some of the security fixes as well. So that one, that way, you know, you can quickly deploy the security change security uh, fixes to your system without actually bringing down the system. So it's actually you know, it gives not only providing you know, the uptime, but also providing providing the uh, security as well and faster to you to the uh, customer base. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. actually really cool.
0: Nice, nice so is is there anything else that, that you've been looking at or presenting for the summit or
1: um yeah, I did the two versions um well one of the things another session we talked about is the route roadmap yes um, we talk about about what we have um, done in round 7 time frame there's a lot of things we've done we improved so much stuff in round 7 in the kernel side it's um, wait I can't even finish in within 10 minutes they give me I mean it's just, yeah. it's just so much stuff it's really it's, it's a, the combination of like 3 to 4 years of hard work with the whole team you know mm-hmm. the whole engineering kernel team it's, it's everybody's trying to push and trying to solve some of the customer issues and trying to improve the customer experience as well as Trying to um, and provide some of the partnership requests and feature requests, and trying to give them um, the newer and the better version of Realm. Yeah. So there's a lot of new things happening in the RHEL Seven space in the kernel side.
0: Yeah, that's and, exciting. I'm, I'm sure that um, I, with the release candidate coming out really soon, uh, I, kn- I know I have people asking for that already. It's like they can't they can't have it fast enough. So, yeah. and that's that's the other neat thing is from the. Um, uh, Working with the folks in the high-touch beta, um, their experience is that they, you know, typically a lot of times customers don't want to deploy on a .0 release or maybe a .1, or they may wait until 7.2. But the quality of RHEL 7 that I've been hearing from our customers is, you know, they are going to be going into production on RHEL 7 a lot faster than they have in previous RHEL releases. So that's really exciting, too. You guys have been doing great work.
1: Great. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we, from day one, we've been looking at, you know, stability. We want to make sure it's stable. We're also looking at, um, we're keeping the stability and actually adding, adding the features, right? We continue doing testing as well when we're doing development. So we want to make sure, um, that not only we, we fix the issues, we're putting new features at the same time. We actually, um, Uh, also doing a lot of performance testing as well to make sure that we don't actually regress when we introduce a new feature because typically every time we add adding new features sometimes you know you regress the performance so we're doing you know in lockstep every time we're adding some new things Um, so a lot lot of effort going to from the development team from the performance team as well as the QE team so it's actually it's a great you know um, teamwork all together on the the RHEL side Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple mostly I mean uh, notably um, we did a lot of work in the Kernel, especially in the memory management area, um, a lot of big new features into the memory management area mm-hmm. um, and kernel locking area as well. Um, we have auto auto uh, numa balancing basically right. in, in the kernel, which allows um, kernel to, schedule it to detect whether or not the process is in in a particular numa mm-hmm. node. If it is, then it mm-hmm. either make sure the memory allocation allocates on that memory, the local m- m- numa node, as well as trying to migrate some of the um, uh, memory allocation from other nodes into the local NUMA node. So there's a lot of um, improvement in that area for NUMA. Um, then we also uh, basically introduce um, a couple of new things in locking mechanism. We have what we call dynamic ticking. Right. That's actually for um, applications, especially long-running applications, mm-hmm. such as KVM application, as well as like for example. Um, um, high-performance computing. We got a, a customer who asks us, or actually a vendor as well, who asks us, like, they have a high-performance computing, long-running computing application. They mm-hmm. want to be able to have all the CPU they can get in the user space to calculating, they do all the calculation, intensive calculations. And they want to basically um, eliminate a lot of the um, uh, interrupts and context switches um, in the kernel. Right. So that dynamic ticking basically provides that feature, provides that capability, reducing a lot of the interrupts, context switches, because all it does is, if there's nothing to do in interrupt, but the kernel's still ticking on every, you know, uh, every context switch, um, every tick. So then, you know, you're basically wasting a lot of time in the kernel because of those, um, those um, interrupts. So what we want to do is reduce that, give it the CPU cycles. To the user space applications so then you know for those intensive calculation applications financial you know financial applications yeah. as well as telecom telecom applications they can actually benefit from this feature
0: yeah nice. So nice that
1: was actually really that's actually one of the features uh we know in fact in the early on of the ralus planning phase we like we heard a big request from our customer and partners yeah how
0: about like like um in the past you know with the kernel, you, know, you always focused on bare metal because we didn't do virtualization. Mm-hmm. And then we've added virtualization. Are there new things? Like, what are some of the considerations that, that you guys are putting into RHEL 7 from a virtualization standpoint? Or, or Are you thinking about things differently now that you maybe you can assume or you can expect to be on a virtualization layer or in the cloud?
1: Um, some of the things we're thinking about virtualization. A uh, lot of the feature, because of virtual, virtualization in the KVM environment, mm-hmm. um KVM actually provides that uh, virtualized environment, and you, and everything that we runs on the kernel itself runs on a virtualization, um, 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 basically running on hypervisor. So from the kernel perspective, um, there is quite a few things we're trying to make sure that we actually work with the hypervisor. Yeah, um, and a lot of the, um, for example, I think um, we talked about. Um, for example, the dynamic ticketing is also trying to give all the CPU powers to the running processes for the KVM, uh, the KVM, the the, uh, the guests, um, as well. and any application that runs on the guests, right? And a lot of times, um, when we have all the new feature that we add into the bare metal kernel, we also want to make sure they actually also work in the KVM environment, right? Because um, a lot of we have a lot of customer as a matter of fact this time we, we notice a lot of customers are actually already deploying the you know virtual environments mm-hmm. and so they we, they want to make sure that our application all the features that we add into the bare metal kernel is also being you know feasible and workable in the virtualized environment we, we actually do that as well we test that as well to make sure it actually benefits them as well
0: Yeah I remember back in the rel five days or like clock tick things that, that you know it it took us a while to work with VMware to Get it uh, straightened out and and things like that. Where, I guess, do you do you look at the hypervisor as, as like another hardware target and and do you do you visualize it that way or? Or um, do you sort of look at the hypervisors as sort of like their own sort of different animal, different from like a different hardware platform?
1: Um, we we actually um, treat the hypervisor as actually a, a, its own kind of hard, hardware type yeah. because it it's it's a, it's almost like um, an emulation layer of the actual hardware. So to us, it's actually another hardware, right? So um, and we want to make sure that we work with them. Um, the couple of tricky things are different about being. And the virtualized hypervisor than actually on the bare metal. For mm-hmm. example, um, because it's a hypervisor, they're actually, for example, interrupt handling. It's slightly different because it's a hypervisor right. versus actually bare metal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part is kind of tricky. But other than that, I think generally speaking, oh, you know, we actually see it um, as as actually another type of hardware to us.
0: Yeah, but the other thing too that the way I see it is that. Um, We are very, since it's an enterprise operating system, we are very conservative in terms of what gets certified from a hardware platform standpoint. And so whenever, um, you know, so we don't support any old hypervisor. You know, it may coincidentally work, but, you know, we will, you know, certify and support like like KVM and Rev and uh, VMware, Hyper V, AWS and all, all the different cloud providers. But we go but that's because we do a lot of engineering work and testing and we have the relationships with those hypervisor providers. Um, and you know, do you get a lot of requests for or or do people make a lot of assumptions and that you feel uncomfortable about that it's like, oh well here's this other weird hypervisor that you never tested. You guys are probably like, no, we're not. We're not going to touch that. Or how? How do you guys handle that?
1: Um, I think we we do um, we do actually um, because it's a, you know we do actually you know actually we do actually have to redirect them to support because we yeah. have our support matrix and um, we actually want to focus on our resources on the things that we want to support well. Always we support yeah. and we want to support well. So therefore. Um, Yes, sometimes we have a request coming in, like for some VMware, asking us, you know, the, you know, it doesn't really work, you know, rather is actually not working well with a VMware um, hypervisor, and then we we'll try to work with them because they're our partners, you know, yeah, we want to we want to we want to work well with our partners, so, um, so you know, we do work it, work in some ways with them, mm-hmm. but um, but of course, most I mean, we are so mm-hmm. we resource constraints, so we want to focus our resources on the things that we can actually, you know, we we do support and we want to support well with. So,
0: right. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. So, like, I I think having those good relationships with VMware, even though we compete with them from a virtualization product standpoint, um, you guys are more like Switzerland as far as, like, you want RHEL to be the best guest that runs on top of VMware. Right. Um, And and that's your goal. And and so if there are, you know, emulation, you know, storage or network problems, you know, we want to hear about it so we can get them addressed to get it to work. That's correct. Yeah. That's,
1: That's our goal. I mean, because, you know, I'm... You know, as long as, I mean, we want to actually, you know, be able to work well with our partners, in, in, you know, because Rally is, you know, uh, the, the foundation and the base, and we run RHEL on guests as well as on bare metal. So we want to be able to, you know, to answer some of the questions and, and be mm-hmm. able to resolve some their, their issues partner's issues. So we, want, we will work with them, yeah.
0: Yeah, nice. Nice. So anything else?
1: Um, yeah, there's a lot of things. I, mean, I, 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 mean, I this
0: yeah. is like an endless. You got you're, you're a busy person. Yeah.
1: Yes, I, I've been busy. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of new features. Mostly, you know, my team is really busy too. They're they're not only being supporting what we currently have in Route five and those in Rell six, and they're also busy trying to delivering the, the new features that we're seeing now in Route seven C. So it's it's actually you know I you know the team team members, everyone who actually contribute to the Route seven features are you know they are continuously trying to improve. They know they know that there's customers and they know that the, you know partners all really want to improve the RHEL you know the experience so mm-hmm. they actually continue to putting, you know bug fixes and features delivered deliver to a customer base i mean the team has been you know not just me but the whole team has been busy so yeah
0: yeah well yeah. i can imagine too from you know especially with, with kernel engineering you know this is the linux kernel yeah. and how how does it work like they probably have to be you know working with linus and and all that it's not any old open source project Right? You, you probably have a very elite team of people that know how to do things to get things into the Linux kernel and get it approved and all that. What are some of the, like, if you were to give tips or advice to, to people that wanted to, you know, uh, how, how do you motivate and manage people and, and, and create that culture to you know, be as effective as they can be in the open source community? Because that, that is the biggest open source project that, you know, that people can think of.
1: Right. Um, So if I have any advice and tips for people trying to work on the Linux kernels, um, I would say, um, obviously, work with the upstream community, submit your patch uh, frequently, um, getting advice. Once you get people to to basically um, provide you feedback on your patch, Refresh frequently. Just resubmit, um, refresh, and work with them. Getting the devices from them. Um, a lot of the upstream maintainers have been around for a, for a long, long time, and you know Linux kernel's been around for a while now. So, um, so they they know exactly. You know they know the system subsequent very well. They know. Um, how it's being impacted the other parts of the kernel and yes. so they want to make sure that it's stable they don't want to just take any random changes so um, as much as people think that you know the Linux kernel development is um, you know it's, it's not as easy but it's actually you know if you trying to if you actually be open submit patches have a discussion mm-hmm. carrying on understand what the maintainers are asking us are asking you I mean they are actually um, they're actually really good about telling people What is needed? Like why? Why? Why are the ways? You know why don't we like your patch in this particular way? What? How do you can you know? If if they don't tell you what it is, you can also ask them too. It's like how can I improve because I need this feature into Linux kernel, and sometimes they will ask you. You know when you are preparing changes for upstream acceptance, um, prepare a couple things like use cases. You know tell them why you need to this feature need to be in the kernel, and tell them. what are the you know performance impact, right? The, the right. two major things is you know, and have you tested, right? So there's you know three basic things you you basically have to be prepared for when you when you work with upstream is to answer those questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's I'm there's you know you all you read the trade press and there's such strong personalities there and you got to be I, I'm I'm sure very diplomatic and um you know if you want to be able to influence people and and the other thing I've, I've heard, too, is that you, you obviously don't want to do like code bombs, that because you know Linux, it runs on the mainframe, it runs on your mobile phone, um, and so you don't want to do all these wonderful mobile things that break stuff for the mainframe people, or, or vice versa, and so you want to be very modular and very surgical in what you want to do.
1: Right, exactly, and and uh, you can tell that the upstream always advise people to yeah. actually would... Uh, submit small changes you know make it break break a big feature down to small small subsets and submit them so basically slowly changes your code as to you know basically build up to the changes you want so um, you don't want to yeah like you said don't want to do a patch bomb because that's actually you know nobody has time to review like 100 patches you know like you give them small changes they can review and they understand it they will actually you know it's much easier for them to accept and put it into the upstream
0: nice nice cool anything else you wanted to talk about
1: um I think that that's it for i think uh in the kernel updates i think um as you mentioned i think uh, you know for now we're the tool itself actually in the RHEL 7 base, I right, but right. it's also it's also a market technology preview. But what we're actually looking at is to getting a lot of the um, customer user feedback. Uh-huh. So we want to make sure that people can get, tell us what the use cases, um, and then the um, and then we kind of you know work with the um, our support organization to actually figure out how to actually you know if there is enough interest and how do I actually provide that service for the customer base.
0: Yeah. So how how do if we want to get people interested with the dynamic kernel updates? And they have feedback. Would it be like just support tickets, or go in the forums on the customer portal, or, or what's the best way to, you know, get that feedback in, into your hands?
1: Um, so um, I think uh, um, basically I think people are directed to um, talk to their TAMS support okay. TAMS as well, um, and also if you're direct sales uh, channel people, talk to um, actually I think the strategic and marketing. Um, um, product manager which is Sabindu Ghosh yes. and he is collecting all the feedback information and trying to provide you know, trying to gather that and together and providing a, a guidance as to how we want to go forward,
0: forward yeah and I think the way I understand it is that we don't want it to be out there for everybody and all things to all people especially initially we want to sort of um, like in with the the philosophy that you said before of these like small patches sort of thing is that we want to start off small and be successful instead of trying to be all things to all people and then you disappoint a lot of folks so um, I think we're going to be very focused at, at least at how we're going to roll it out.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah, that's 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 actually it's it's actually what we focus on now. It's just kind of start with small and see build up and see how, how it actually you know how, how people react to it and how, how much customers will be actually wanting what direction they want to go to, um, and then we'll see how we can you know respond to that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, I wanted to thank you for being on the show thank it, you are a natural at this uh, so thanks oh <laughs> um, was, you did great so Linda if people want to get more information to the links and, and to learn about the release candidate and uh, all the things that we talked about um, where should they go for the show notes
1: um, I, I think uh, it, they should definitely go to dgshow.org, and I think that there's information they can actually look up and read up on
0: excellent alright all right. well thanks a lot Linda and thanks everybody for listening